someone is working with a tax preparer or a financial advisor or an investment advisor or a financial planner, and that person has never brought up the concept of tax planning, fire them. Are you ready to transform your life? This is a no-nonsense show helping immigrants like you create generational wealth, even while working full-time. Get ready to take notes. Here's your host, Socket Jane. Welcome back, my great to wealth listeners. You are in for a treat today. We got Corey Noise from Utah calling us. Hey, Corey, how are you? I am doing good. How are you holding up? I'm good. I'm good. You know, enjoying the weather, beautiful rain outside in Raleigh. But yeah. the flip side of the problem is what you probably have is, is snow. We don't oh, have yeah, snow right now. So. Oh, wow. I do not miss that, man. I used to live in Wisconsin for about a year and a half. I couldn't handle the snow. No. So we, gotta yeah, well, move. we had to move back. It's a never-ending kind of cold. So, Corey, thank you again for joining us. Appreciate your carving out the time for me and my listeners. Corey, I know your background is pretty diverse. You do a lot of different things, all the way from financial planning to tax preparation to helping folks invest in the Wall Street. But why don't you give your, instead of me butchering your background, why don't you give people a holistic picture of who you are? And then from there, we'll go into your migration story, my friend. Sure. I started my career in finance, fairly common path. Mm -hmm. I was at a large financial brokerage house, right? Mm -hmm. And they do a lot of things right. They have fairly decent training. They do try to do the best they can for their clients. Yeah. But ultimately, there were some shortcomings there that made it so that I needed to get out and go out on my own. Two of those shortcomings, one of them, and this isn't going to come as a shock to anybody, large financial firms are very good at hiding how they get paid. They mm -hmm. love to charge fees. They love to have back-end fees. They love to slide so many things in there that nobody can quite understand how they're getting paid. And they get so confused, they just leave them alone, is I think what yeah. part of their philosophy was. Yeah. So I wanted to get away from that. I wanted to form my own firm so that I could be transparent about how that works. The other thing that started to enrage me at my past work was right on the door of my office, I had a big disclaimer that said, I cannot give tax advice. And I always scratched my head a little bit about that because I was told I couldn't give tax advice. I couldn't talk to people about that kind of thing. Yet it was totally okay for me to recommend a Roth IRA, mm -hmm. which I don't know what that is if it's not tax yeah. advice. And so it, tax me, advice. it started to make me realize that not only should I give tax advice, but I should always be giving tax advice because as a financial planner, as a financial advisor, literally everything I tell a client to do is going to come with tax consequences. In my past world, I had to bury my head in the sand and pretend that didn't exist. When I left that firm, one of the things I knew I wanted to do was incorporate both because they should be done together. So now I operate a financial planning and investment firm and a tax preparation business because I have found, and most people that have worked with me would agree, those two things ought to be done together because that's how you can optimize both. So that's kind of how I got to where I am and how I set this up. And that's why I operate both businesses because I think that's how it should be. I think most anybody who would, would try that out would understand that yeah. it works a lot better if those are happening in harmony as opposed to the normal model of do your investments all year and then take a report into your accountant. Yeah, you know, it's kind of interesting you say that because I always tell people is that when you are sick, you don't go to a foot doctor and ask them to fix your foot. You don't go to an arm doctor and ask them to fix your arm. You can, because unfortunately, that's where the healthcare industry has evolved into, which is basically the pages that we were just talking about, right? Borrowed from the same exact world. 
which is not you want to be treated when you're sick as a whole because you don't know where your problem is your foot may be hurting but it may be because of a nerve pinching somewhere else in your body right um, sure. and what you want to go is a doctor who understands it enough to make sure they can guide you in the right direction they may not have all the answers and i think that's where i see a lot of investment professionals unfortunately is they're good at one thing and unfortunately that's the only thing they want their clients to invest on and not putting yes. a thing on anybody unfortunately their incentive model is set up such a way that that's the only thing that makes sense for them right which exactly. is kind of sad <clears throat> which is sad the model is broken and not a lot of people understand why it's broken and how to fix it and i'm glad that you actually took the step forward to make that amends within your own practice to make sure now you don't have to put a board on outside of your office saying no tax advice because that's a crucial part right most of us are investing for long term and the taxes are going to be crazy long term as we start to age they're not going down what was that cory yeah so unless you do something about it right unless you unless you do something about it Correct, correct. Yeah. The timing of this show is interesting, man. And of course, I didn't plan it that way. I can take the credit because we just had a tax strategist on the last episode. So this is a perfect episode because hopefully people can get their toe into they didn't miss it. They can go back and look at that, but they're not going to miss anything in the two separate episodes, which is great. So, Corey, help us understand when you were growing up, my friend, in this show we always start from the scratch, from the beginning. When you were growing up, ah. did you always wanted to become a financial professional? what triggered you to get into that what what was your point in life where you wanted to say i'm going to go become an investment advisor sure so no i did not want to do this from day mm-hmm. one i'm going to say that's a good thing because i don't think a lot of 5 year olds should wake up in the morning and think i, I want to work with people's right. yeah i would agree with that so i wanted to be a professional baseball player that was goal number 1 was to be okay. a professional baseball player but baseball is a I'm convinced it's a large weeding out process, right? Most kids in the United States start playing baseball when they're four or five, mm-hmm. start playing T-ball. And then you play until you realize you're not as good as everybody else around you, and then right. you stop. And eventually you're left with the major leagues at a certain point, right? Because yeah. they are as good as everybody around them. So I lasted until I was about 13 or 14, and then that dream died. <laughs> then I decided, so I grew up in Seattle, so I decided I wanted to go design airplanes, right? There's a lot of that there. Boeing happened Interesting. too. Interesting, yeah. Well, Officially, Boeing is based in Chicago, but if you ask anyone in Seattle, that's a load of crock because all the planes yeah. are still made in Seattle. So that was goal number two was to go and be an aerospace engineer, and that lasted about one year or so of college. And I just hated those classes. I was always good at math. There's a lot of engineering, right. obviously. So it wasn't that it was an issue of being able to complete the classes; it was just an right. issue of being bored, right. constantly right. working on right. theoretical problems all day. So that dream died. That's kind of when this idea of finance took off. The very first exposure was probably an economics class that I just really Wait, so you were at this when you were in college, you're not happy with whatever you were doing at that point, which was how to build planes. But you didn't necessarily yeah. like it. So then you're like, okay, what am I going to do? That's a big leap of faith from building it a plane to doing finance. So help us understand how did that jump happen? Yeah. Part of the required curriculum we're at at school was a beginner accounting class and I am a believer okay. if everybody takes an accounting class everybody should take an accounting yeah. class there are a certain subset of people who when they learn about accounting debits and credits and how it all works their mind sees that and it's the most beautiful thing they've ever seen 
And yeah. that's not everybody. It's not most people. Most people see that and it is a jumble and it is confusing and it will never make sense. It's a headache. But for those that it clicks, I was one of those. It was beautiful. And so at that point, Got I was it. drawn to numbers, accounting. That then led to a realization that most people who focus on accounting, you have a path of becoming a CPA. Not a lot of them actually do yeah. that, right? Most of them are going to go work in one of the big audit houses. Mm -hmm. And if you hear about what that life is like for the first few years at PwC or something like that, that did not appeal to me very much. Yeah. Some people it does, but that didn't sound like my path. So I started to head more towards the personal finance route mm -hmm. and solving this logical puzzle, mm -hmm. right? And I think what drew me there is between taxes, investments, financial planning, it's all a series of logical puzzles where yeah. there is not necessarily a clear answer. And in many cases, there are many right answers mm -hmm. and many wrong answers. And you're trying to navigate that water. I find that the most fascinating and fun puzzle that there is. Yeah. And I couldn't get enough of that. In particular, I was drawn to the tax side of that. Investment planning is fun because it has all of these different elements that you can plan together and solve that puzzle. Taxes are fun because it's all the same thing. But then at the same time, you're fighting this big nemesis called the IRS, and it makes it just yeah. that much more fun to solve that puzzle when there's mm -hmm. a real live person on the other side who is your opponent. So I just, yeah. for some reason, I found that intoxicating. I could not get enough of this idea that if I took the time to learn the rules, I could use those rules to beat them. And it was yeah. just fun. I yeah. get enough of it. So that led me to the first firm that I worked for, one of the large investment firms out there. And from there, I told that part of the story already. So that's I how I got to where journey, I am. Journey, right? I love that journey because I think there, there are different nuggets in the journey. Because I think, first of all, you could not have scripted the path you're in today, right? Yeah. From who you wanted to be a baseball player to then finding your way into aircraft. I think you took the path which a lot of people took because that's what they were exposed to, right? And you can't fault your exposure. It's actually the reason you are here because those skill sets, you learn different skill sets along the way that actually prepared you to be who you are. I'm a big believer in that, that every even seemingly small decision I made in my life is what led me to right here. So I would yeah. not be here today if at some point I hadn't thought I was going to make airplanes. It has nothing to do with what I do now. But I know Correct. that, and I can't even draw exactly how it would work. If I thought about it enough, I probably could. But it's somewhere along the lines, it was that desire to design airplanes that led yeah. me to this. Perfect. So now you're in the finance world. You find yourself fascinated yeah. with numbers. And I'm sure your first thought was, how can I make money? Because now I understand how these things fit together, right? So help us understand from there to become an investment advisor with a big firm. I don't think you told us who you're working for at that time. You don't have to. But how did you end up being a corporate guy from there? And then we already know your path out. We don't understand your path in. You know, to be honest, if I was to sum up the path in, and we can get into it, but the, the first thought that comes to mind when you ask that question is I just didn't know any better. Yeah. I was, you know, I was 22. I didn't know what it was really like. I didn't really know what I was getting into. For me, they wanted to hire me. Great. Yeah. Sign up. Right. And right. it was as simple as that. And I really, even to this day, I can't give you any better reason why I chose that firm or why I chose that path than I was young and didn't know any better. And, yeah. and it's not that that company's bad or there's anything wrong, right? Now I know there's a much better way to do things, but exactly. at the time I had no idea. I mean, that's the only way, sometimes that's the only way to find out, right? Of what not. I always say that everything to learn from somebody, right? Because 
either you're going to learn what to do or you're going to learn what not to do. And they're both important lessons. That's a great point. So I think in your corporate journey, you figured out what not to do for your clients, which is what led to yeah. probably have you, if you love that job, chances are you wouldn't be here where you are. You would have a different no. path, right? It's because you found some inefficiencies that you can live up with. That's when you chose to say, how can I serve my clients better? Is that correct characterization? It's exactly what I would have said. So, yep. Awesome. Perfect. So now you are there, now you put your own shingle, for the lack of better words. Tell us the journey, right? Kind of like, how was the journey to, from being a corporate guy to now from a big brand or some brand to somebody with no brand? How did that journey go? So the first thing to understand about that journey is I quit my job at a large firm four weeks before my wife had her second baby. And as you, of course, know, wow. the best time to quit your job and start a company is when your wife is eight months pregnant. Of course. So Why not? Why wouldn't you do that? Off. Yeah. Exactly. You have no choice but to succeed, right? Yeah. So it makes it, <laughs> it, makes it just so much easier. Overall, the journey was not as rough as I would have anticipated. And part of that is because I have the luxury in my world of I had a lot of clients at the big right. firm, right? And when I left to start my own, the first question is, how many of them are going to call? Correct. I was restricted from what I could do. I couldn't reach out to anybody. Of I course. couldn't. Yeah. I had an unsolicited order. But how those laws are written is if somebody reached out to me, then it was fine. If sure. they initiated that conversation and the hope and the, the expectation when you make that jump is that they will. Fortunately, a lot of them did. So it wasn't more than Good a few months until I was right. in a place where it was working out better than it was at the big firm. What I started to notice after doing it is I started at that company and for two or three years, I loved it. I thought it was where I was going to be for life. And, and it was still that idea of I didn't know what I didn't know yet. Mm -hmm. I was ended up being there for just over five years in total. It was in years four and five that I started to feel discontent. And then after right. making that transition, you enter this world of I would look back and think <laughs> it was never going to work. I was already yeah. thinking thoughts like this at two years. And I was already feeling like I didn't quite fit the mold at right. three years. Right. And I was already noticing some of these problems at 18 months. I just didn't know what it meant at the time Correct. when I was noticing right. it. But then once I had separated, it was very clear to me to realize that I was never going to stay at that company. That was never going to be my path. Right. It was always going to go this way. It just took me a while to realize that. And it became so clear after doing it. And that comes with a little bit of the hindsight of I had made it through fairly quickly that phase of Fear, terror, mm -hmm. desperation. I don't know what you call it, right? That idea of I left a stable job and kind of went for it. And it's a lot easier to see all of those things after you make it through the phase and you know it's going to work. So yeah. that was, it was an interesting journey in that front. The hardest part of that type of a journey, right? It's nice because I have all these clients I'm hoping will come with me. The worst part of it is, is you know in your head and you're starting to lay the groundwork for this a few months before you quit your position at the big firm. And I would meet with clients and I couldn't say a word about it. And it was hard to look at them. Because you knew you were gone, but you couldn't tell them. Yeah. Exactly. And you feel like you're lying to them, but you know you don't have a choice because if you tell right. them anything, it's going to be bad for them and worse for you. And right. so you just smile and go <clears> on with it, but it tears you apart inside. And that was probably yeah. the roughest part of the was that. Well, that, I think that's an interesting part, right? Because you're, you're going through that transition at that time, you've already transitioned in your mind, but you got to serve your time, whatever you need to do. 
to make sure before you make that final jump. And that's a time, it's a gray area, right? There's nobody knows at that time what is right. But that's when I think your true crack, I'm assuming, and I'm making a big leap of faith, but I think I have all the right intuition to do that, that you probably serve them better knowing that you'll be gone than you were doing before. Not that you were not serving them before, but now you knew your days, or you have days, weeks, and months So you could do a lot more for them what you may not have done before because in the next three months, chances are you're going to be out and they're going to be coming to you anyways. So you're setting them up for that transition should that happen. So I think that's probably what I'm thinking was going through your mind, which kind of gave you comfort. Yeah, you know you're doing it largely for your clients, right? I kind of already did a lot of work on what the business was going to look like. And yeah. for me, I already knew that I was going to be able to do a better job for them with better right. tools, with better access, and charge them less. And yeah. so, you know, it's good. It's it's no one is no one's not going to be excited about that. Correct. And so you're excited to show them this new thing, but you can't. And now, of course, so let's go deeper, man. Let's go deeper into what you do now. As I look at it, you may not describe your business as that. So you got the three big pillars of your practice. You got the tax strategy, you got the tax filing, and you got the investment management, these three different pillars. What I really want to focus on this conversation, if that's okay with you, is really on the tax planning, because that's really Mm -hmm. what I think. You can focus on the other two pieces, but if you don't get your strategy right, your investment may not give you the result that you're hoping for it to get, right? So everything starts with an end goal. And the goal can't be I want to retire only. That's That can't be the only goal. We want to go there in the most tax-efficient manner, right? Now, if somebody wants to pay 80% taxes, I'm all for it. Go do it. But if somebody's coming to us, you and people like you and I, hopefully they don't want to pay 80% taxes, right? They want to pay 0% if we can make it work, which um, we have for our clients. We have, we have investors who are paying 0% in taxes. And we wear that as a badge of pride, not because we're cheating IRS, it's because we're using the rules that IRS has given us in a way. They wrote the rules. <laughs> they wrote the rules. We're just following the rules. Exactly. Right. If they change the rules, we'll figure something else out. But right now, we're basically just following the rules that they have laid out. So help us understand when you work with clients, right? When you work with, let's say if Socket's got to come to you, Corey, if I'm coming to you, how would you engage with someone like me? And where would you start? And what kind of conversations would you have with them? And the reason I'm asking this to give you a context is, my listener base is very, very smart, right? They're all high-tech professionals. So they're getting paid a lot of money. They are engineers, they're ops leaders, they're strategy leaders, they're doctors, they're lawyers. But where to begin sometimes when the area is so unknown may have gotten harder for them. So we want to K through 12, the planning process. So they get some insights into when they are think, doing it by themselves, hopefully not. But if they want to do it by themselves, they at least have a framework to think about. Yeah. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to agree with everything you said on the tax planning side. I'm going to take it one step further. I'm going to make yeah. a declaration that if someone is working with a tax preparer or a financial advisor or an investment advisor or a financial planner, and that person has never brought up the concept of tax planning, fire them. Yeah. Because there is more value to be had in that little, it sounds insignificant concept then there isn't anything else. So when I left the big investment firm, one of my motivations to do that was I looked and I said, I've got 30, 40 years ahead of me. Yeah. In 20 years, in 10 years, is there going to be any value in me saying, I can build a great investment portfolio for you? No, 
because you can go online and have that done for you for way less Probably. than I'm ever going to charge you. Yeah. So I needed to get out of that model because that's what they wanted me to pitch. That's what that company thought the value was. And I looked at mm-hmm. it and said, that is not the value. The value is in me taking this and saying, hey, these couple of investments, why don't you sell those now? They're at a loss. We can buy them back in 30 days. And if you do right. that, you're going to reduce your income three grand mm-hmm. and it'll save you $1,200. Done, right? That's the kind of stuff that I realized I could offer value in. So when I engage with the client, the very first thing I am going to have them do, and if you have a lot of doctors, this analogy makes more sense, right? But the idea is they are going to get financially naked in front of me, is mm-hmm. what I describe it as. So I will send them over an access to a box folder that's encrypted, right? Because a lot of the stuff we're going to be talking about has a lot of personal information on there. Right. But I always tell them everything in your life with a dollar sign, I want you to upload to this folder. And that's going to include, I send them a big long list and it's got everything from mortgage statements to car insurance to 401k plans, to real estate properties, to timeshares that they might own. I don't care, but as a dollar mm-hmm. sign, you're going to attach it because we need to see everything. Yeah, There's a lot of different financial planning software out there. The one I use is called Right Capital on the back end, right? If anybody really wants to, to look into that. Mm-hmm. But my job is then to take all of that because the first step of that whole process is figuring out where you're at and trying to yeah. figure out what your base case is, where you're starting at. Then what I'm going to do is I'm going to go one at a time, right? And the most important document I'm going to ask you for in that upload is last year's tax return, Mm -hmm. because that is taking your pulse. That is measuring your blood pressure when it comes to your finances is your tax return. It's also where I'm probably going to start to uncover all of the areas that you can be optimizing and moving forward. So I take all this and I start to paint the picture of exactly where you're at right now. Then the next question, and I can't do much more than this until we have these discussions, right? But it's usually an hour, two, three that we'll spend together. And I will have you describe to me what you want your life to look like as good as you can. Because for some people, that means they want to work until they are 60 years old and be done, cut and dry. Some people means they want to work full time until they're 40. And then they want to go to 20 hours a week till they're 50. And then they want to be done. Some people want to be done in five years. Some want to get out of working because they want to own rental properties and just have that Mm -hmm. be their income, right? All of those things are going to drastically change what we're going to work together to accomplish. But it's once we know what that finish line is that we can work together to start tax optimizing all of your investments. Because there's really two things we want to focus on, right? Most people that work as financial advisors, all they ever want to talk about is the stock market and diversifying your stock market investments. They don't tell you that the reason they say that is because they don't make any money off the rental property that you have. But part of that financial planning process and incorporating the tax planning process is knowing that those rental properties get treated wildly differently than your brokerage account or your Mm -hmm. Roth IRA. And we need to take into account all of those things because as you get to that point in life where you want to transition out of working, we're going to start setting up different layers of this so that we know what money you're going to be living on so that we can yeah. pay taxes on this pot of money at a lower rate so that by the time this one runs out, that one's ready to go. And then you can turn on this pot of money, right? Yeah. We're trying to get all of these things to play nicely together. And most financial advisors completely miss it because all they want to look at is your 401k. And so part of I that think, planning process, uh, the reason is that. There's a reason why they call financial advisors, not financial planners, right? Even if they're financial planners, they only know how to sell securities, uh, which is stocks, bonds, mutual funds, right? For the most part, or insurance products. Um, it's yeah, or, like, or yeah, your insurance, yeah. 
products. We can go to that if you want to. Yeah, I know it's, <laughs> it's, a, it's, a different, it's kind of funny. We talk about, we're talking about this about five years ago, I got invited to join a brokerage firm. I'm fairly good with planning finances. So I call myself as a wealth strategist, not a tax planning, not a tax planner. Not a, I, I call myself as a wealth strategist, right? Kind of like taking a look at the picture and helping you figure out what buckets and how you want to invest. So somebody got the wind of it yeah. and they invited me to join the brokerage firm. And I went to the entire process. And in the end, I'm like, okay, how do you guys get paid? Because I wanted to really understand that. And in the end, yeah. Corey, it all came down to you got to start selling insurance. I'm like, what do you mean yeah. I got to start selling insurance? I'm like, I thought that's not the business you're in. He's like, I get, do you want to feed your family? I'm like, yeah. She's like, then you got to sell the insurance. I'm like, that's, I'm like, that was the last conversation I had with them, Corey. I'm like, I'm not going to do anything because I have to. I want to do something because that's the right thing to do, right? And I think you and I cut from the same exact cloth where you want to do right by people who are, in your case, the way you described it, who are being financially naked in front of you. And you want to respect that. That comes with a huge responsibility that they're willing to share everything about their financial. They may not even have told their spouses some of the stuff. Or their parents, now they're telling you everything. I mean, I grew up in India, so it's very different thinking. When I go back to India, all my uncles and aunts are like, so how much money do you make? I'm like, what do you mean? That's not a conversation that happens here in the US. You can't ask that question. One of my mentors is from uh, Delhi. And Uh yeah, she introduced me to that whole concept. That's why I grew up, man. It's like everybody. Like, what do you mean? I make enough. No, how much? I'm like, what do you mean? You want exact dollars? She's like, yeah. I spent a lot of time here now, of course. So I'm like, I'm not used to that. But in India, it's pretty common to know everyone, what everyone else is making, right? But here, it's a foreign concept of being financially naked. That, I mean, I, I don't think we suck at money. I think it's just that we don't understand money, right? Because uh, that start, like that's where that all comes from. Wherever this whole cultural norm of not talking correct. about money came from, that's the reason that so many people in this country are financially illiterate. Or no, I completely or agree. Completely agree. That's I, mean, I put that's myself I put myself in that bracket because as an immigrant I came literally came with a $500 bill and a suitcase which, which was full of food uh, because my mom thought there's not <laughs> food in America I'm like okay that's good I'll take it because I had no idea either right so anyways, <laughs> we came here <laughs> so my story is not as sad as somebody else's I, I mean I had a job when I came here so at least I, I was starting on the right food. foot and a suitcase full of food so I knew I'll get fed but it's interesting because you got to learn, right? You have to figure this path out. No one's going to hand it over to you. And the schooling system, education, we can probably have another 10 episodes on education system. The education system is the biggest challenge because we're being trained to be assembly line, right? Be a cog in a wheel, be obedient, do what you're told, don't ask questions, and you'll be fine for the rest of your life. And the moment you start asking questions, But really, the red pill is the question. You got to start asking questions, right? That's why we made this show. Take the red pill. Ask the questions. No one's going to hurt you. It's okay to ask because until you ask, you won't start looking. So when we got off on a tangent there, but we'll definitely have another conversation on that. But coming back to planning, right? So when you're talking to your clients, I'm calling yours as clients, mine are investors, we're always talking to what is their goal, right? The goal part is pretty common because we need to understand how do you want to live your life? That's the purpose of the yeah. goal, right? And I find people, at least the ones that I'm talking to, they actually don't know what they want to do, right? They don't. Yeah. So do you see that common, in your right? practice? Do you see that a lot? That they actually don't know how they want to live past 65? 
or 55 or whatever the retirement yeah, I, age is? I do. And I, so I'm going to actually point it right back to what you were just talking about. I think most of them think that because they didn't realize they could ask because that mm. plan that they're always taught assembly line worker, that assembly line worker works until they're 65 yeah. and they retire. And so a lot of people never actually think about what they want it to look like because they don't think you're supposed to think about what it's going to look like because you're just supposed to go to work until you're 65. What generally I coach people towards, what I think the goal is for most people, because this is kind of an all-encompassing way to say it, it's to get, and you'll hear a lot of terms like financially free or income independent, right? But the yeah. idea is you want to get to a point where you are not dependent on anyone else for your income. Meaning you can create that through rental properties. You can create it through stock market investments. You can create it through owning businesses. There's a lot of ways you can get there and a lot of speeds that you can get there as well. But I think most people share the common goal of being at a point where they don't have to depend on anyone else. And I like to phrase it that way because I do talk to a lot of people who, even though they don't have to, they want to go to work until they're 65 yeah. because they like what they do. It's fun, right? But they also still want to be at a point where when they're 62, if somebody looks at them the wrong way, they can stand up, walk out and leave and Correct. never have to care again because they don't need that job. They're there. We'll keep fun. it. We'll keep it family friendly. We call it F you money, right? That's I was going to say the same thing. Yeah, I was going to say they could stand up, put both middle fingers up and walk out of the office. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because they don't care anymore, right? That's Correct. what I think most people want to get. And so I use that as the target. I'm sorry, just to interrupt there, but it's an important one because I think I want to clarify one. I want to add more context to what you just said. I think it's not because they can generate the money however they can. I think it's what we're, we're more important perspective is that is they don't need to be actively involved in generating income, right? That yeah, essentially means with the real estate, they still have to be a little bit involved because you still need to make sure that the right tenant goes in there, the property management is being managed, right? There's no perfect passive thing in anything. Even in the stock market, you got to start trading, right? You have to make decisions. So I think what you and I, I are saying is, still have to talk to people, still have to do something, still have to make some decisions. What we're saying is we, we want to get to a point in our wealth making where if we were to pass away tomorrow, that's probably the best way to look at it. If we were to pass away tomorrow, will your family still get the same income that they were depending on before? Sounds like you're trying to sell me life insurance all of a sudden. Well, there you go, man. There you go. But I'm not going to get paid this time. <laughs> because I refused the offer. I should have, right? Yeah. So I think what we're basically saying is that way, right? So now, now you're saying, okay, I got 10, 20 rental properties, which the income is coming from. So if I were to go away, the money is still going to come, right? Now your spouse yeah. or your children may have to manage a few things. But that asset is, you don't have to do anything with that asset. You stay with the stock market. Yeah. If you enter it the right way, the dividend paying stocks and stuff like that, and you're an expert at that. Not one, I think what I wanted to also point out is not one thing is good for everyone, right? I think that's probably Absolutely one of the not. biggest pillar of your planning business where some version of stock, some version of some holdings in real estate, some holding in oil and gas is healthy. Now, some people would gravitate more towards one versus another. That's okay. But a combination is actually makes you more prune to make sure that when, when the downturn happens, which it will, it's not a matter of if, when it happens, yep. how can you survive that? I would generally say if somebody isn't involved in all three of those areas, they're going to have a problem. Yeah. Um, and maybe they don't, right? You can have an amount of assets where you can, you're, you're still just not going to have a problem, right? If you've got $10 million in the stock market, it can go ahead and drop. You're going to be yeah. fine. 
But like most people, having money in all of those camps is going to help you. And I found the first thing people should look at right when they're looking to diversify is if one of those you're drawn to, focus on that one because you're not going to be able to replace that. If you like something, if you like residential real estate, you're probably going to make more money in residential real estate than you will in the stock market. And if you hate residential real estate, you're probably not going to make yeah. more money than you own. Right? It doesn't mean totally avoid it, but if you want to look at like where to focus, right? If you have a rental house and you absolutely love it, maybe you should get a few more of those, right? And yeah. tone down what you've got in the market because you like it and you're going to make more because you like it. And that's Correct. a huge thing to Correct. focus on. Yeah, I actually take it to one level above, right? I basically say that there's a whole world of syndication, which when I was looking for passive income, I didn't aware, I wasn't aware. I was only aware of finding my own rental properties, right? I think one hour we're talking about leverage of time. You're basically depending on a Corey or a socket, like you're depending on Corey or a financial advisor, use financial advisor as a general statement to manage your stock portfolio, where you're depending on their expertise to make decisions. Now you're depending on somebody on the syndication side to basically take that away from you because you're going to make emotional decisions. I make emotional decisions for my investments always because we all do, right? So it's, sometimes it's helpful to have a second person be as a sounding board. And that's really what syndication is. They actually take over from you to make sure you manage your investments. And depending on what asset class you want to buy, I actually look at, it's kind of funny way of looking at it is financial advisors in its traditional sense are actually syndicators because they're taking people from multiple investors and putting into the Wall Street. It's just the asset class is different. Their asset class of choice is Wall Street. And as someone like me, asset class of choice is anything but Wall Street because I could not wrap my brain around Wall Street. I just can't sure. understand it. Doesn't mean it's wrong or right. Just I just can't understand it. So I'm like, okay, I'll do what I understand, which is real estate, oil and gas, venture capital, I understand that part of the world. So I'll just stay with that. So I think that's really where we got to start looking as in there are ways to do so you don't have to actively get involved in anything except making a decision. Yeah. And that's the, to me, that's the finish line for most people out there to be at that place where their money is making enough money with very little involvement Mm -hmm. that they don't have to worry about it. Yeah. So Corey, tell us an interesting story about a client without telling their name, man, where you were able to, take them from A to Z, right? Kind of like very cut short that story. I want to paint a picture of when somebody came with you, where they came in, what were their fears, what are their concerns? And then when, after they were done working with you, and hopefully they're still working with you, but after they worked, after they ended the session, they had a lot of clarity in how you helped them go forward. Okay. Abstract example, right? We don't want anyone to know who they are you're talking about. Give an sure. abstract example. So if I was to give an abstract example, right? So, and this, this happens kind of frequently, but there's one I'm thinking of in particular. I have a lot of people that come to meet with me. They know they're wealthy, but they're not sure where everything is. They're not sure how wealthy they are. They're not sure how much tax they're going to pay that year. They're not sure. It's all a jumble, right? They know that they've got money. That's about yeah. it. And so what happened with this particular group, they are young. They're late 30s, making several hundred thousand dollars a year at a tech company. But to give some idea of the complexity that he is working with, he works at a tech company. He gets paid in Chinese cryptocurrency. Then he then has to convert on a Chinese crypto exchange to an American cryptocurrency. Then he can onshore it and bring it back to a domestic 
cryptocurrency wallet, at which point he can then convert it to regular dollars. Just to get along the paid line. for the work. Awesome. Yes. Okay. Just to get paid. Right. So right there, you want to talk tax nightmare or tax complexity. Yeah. Let's talk about that. Right. He has to make three transactions just to get paid. Mm -hmm. So that's where it starts. You don't understand why he's, why they come in and just, they don't quite know where they're at. Right. And what I see a lot that's almost tragic is there's a lot of financial anxiety in people like this. And, and they were no exception to that. They were anxious about financial decisions. And mm -hmm. a lot of the things they would ask me initially, I would look at them and say, do what you want. You can afford any of it. Do yeah. what you want, right? Do you want to buy that house or this one? Do you want to move and get this yeah. super eco-friendly house? Do it. Doesn't matter. You can afford it because they still were convincing themselves that they could because it right. was so scattered. So he has his pay coming in that way. He's got stock options from several different jobs in the past that he's worked very different tech companies. They've got a rental house that they own that they don't like owning. They want to move. They've just got mm -hmm. a lot of things going on. He wants to be done working at 40, right? Yeah. So what happens is they come in and if I could put up one big, like the hallmark of change, like the reason that, that we, they benefited, it's that. It's that they came in and they were, these are people that have a net worth of probably three, $4 million. Mm -hmm. But they were anxiously asking me if they could afford to buy a Chevy Volt. Their earned okay. income every year is about 400000 and they were terrified to go buy a $40,000 car. Now, in mm -hmm. one sense, that's great, right? That's living frugally. But there's a difference of living frugally and not being sure if you should buy it and right. thinking if you bought this, you might blow up your financial world. But that's the kind of anxiety they were living with. And now that we've really gotten everything on track and they have a clear idea of where they're at and everything is optimized, they are saving enough in tax every year to buy a Chevy Volt, just with the tax savings. So Isn't it there you are. Yeah. <laughs> right. Just by getting organized and by handling things the right way. So the anxiety is gone. They're able to live the life they want to live now. And they don't have to stress about decisions that they never should have been stressing about. Right. Because not only did they never need to worry about it, but now they're just, they're saving so much money because areas of their life have been optimized that they're able to do those things without it affecting them at all. So. Thank you for sharing that story because it's very powerful, right? One of the biggest things there is, which most people don't forget to understand is there's only two biggest expenses that everyone has. One is taxes. The other is interest on the mortgage for their primary home, right? Really the biggest two expenses they have. Now for the yeah. home, you may not be able to change anything unless you make a decision to move and lower your expenses, lower your mortgage, that's the only real choice you have or pay it, pay it down, whatever. That's a different path. But taxes, you actually have control on. Just got to put a little attention. Right? Yeah. You just got to work with somebody who can help you do that. Like in your case, you were able to afford them a $40,000 tax savings, potentially. I'm, 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 I'm extrapolating that. That they could now put to use to make sure they buy their Chevy, whatever they wanted to buy, without feeling guilty, Right. It didn't make a whole lot of changes. I'm assuming you didn't rock their world by saying, go move from US to China. That's not the kind of change we're talking about. They're usually finding a few different entities, looking at things different, looking at your asset correctly, looking at your harvesting the losses, whatever those terms are, whatever you want to do. You're basically just looking at what's obvious. They just can't see it because they don't have the trained eye to see that. Right. And you're trained to do that. I'm trained to do that. I've trained myself. You've actually gone formal training. Well, I've, I've trained it myself. So 
we can see things sometimes doesn't mean we're smarter than anybody. Anyone can do that. No. It's a very simple strategy. Everyone listening to this show is smarter than me. So same here, right? That there's Doctors, always some engineers. I tried engineering. Correct. It didn't work. I'm officially not smarter <laughs> than all of the engineers that are listening to this. Yeah, Corey, I love that example, man. So let's end the conversation there for now. I think we'll have a longer conversation at some point. We'll bring you back to see what else you've learned and done for your clients. But on that note, let's go back to the end of our show. I want to respect your time there. Is If you were to go back your 20-year-old self, 15, 20-year-old self, what are some of the insights you will share with them so it makes their migration in life more intentional? What would that be? (laughs) Okay. So one of them, it's it's more of just a funny example, but it really would work really well. Mm -hmm. I would love to go back to my 10-year-old self and tell my 10-year-old self that my 10-year-old self should tell my parents to start a business just so that they could <laughs> hire me and I could start my own Roth IRA because oh that would currently God, be worth something like $400,000. Oh my that, God, right? Corey. You'd have nerved me when you said that because I, I can't tell people <laughs> enough the advantage of paying your kids legally, right? You don't want to randomly oh, create. Man. You got to employ them because uh, now you are... Yeah. Uh, we can, we can, we'll, we'll have to talk more about it because that's going to go a conversation which is 15, yeah. 20 minutes longer. We can get into the details of the how, but the what is I would have a Roth IRA worth probably close to half a million dollars right now. And yeah. that would have been solely because I was mowing lawns and working at a golf course in high school. But yeah. anyways, okay, so that's number one. The second person I would love to go back to is I would love to go mm-hmm. back, not even all that long, but I would love to go back to myself when I was maybe two and a half, three years into the big brokerage firm. Mm-hmm. When I was already starting to feel a little bit like it wasn't going to work out forever, but I was too scared to go and do it. And I would tell myself to just do it instead yeah. of waiting two and a half more years, just do it at that point. Because now that I'm here and now that it worked, I wouldn't change anything about it. I just wish I had done it sooner. So that's another person I wish I could go back to. The third person I wish I could go back to, this is something you don't know about me yet. I spent most of my life very overweight. So I was about 70 pounds overweight when I graduated high school. I'd love to go back to my 12-year-old self and just teach myself a little bit about taking care of my body better yeah. uh, because it changed a lot of decisions I made in my life up to that point. So that has nothing to do with personal finance at all. No, but, but it's an important, it's an important insight, right? Because it's important. How you take care of yourself also shows how you show up. So it's, yeah. it's an important aspect, especially in the world you live in. So I, I can appreciate that, right? I think the second part is also is more about, I think you said something I want to emphasize on that is you want to go back to your old self uh, when you were two years into brokerage and tell them to make a decision to move forward, especially since things have worked out. I'm not sure if that's what you meant. Even if it didn't work out, I'm assuming you would still go back and say, do it because you were unhappy. You were not happy doing, you knew this was not going to work out. At least on this path, there's yeah. a very high likelihood it may. You're correct. Yeah, I would still do it, even if it was going to be ten times harder than it ended up being. Even if it wouldn't have worked out, I still yeah. would go tell myself to do it. Because by the time I left that job, especially at five years, I wasn't just unhappy. I was miserable. I used to wake right. up and dread driving into work every day, and nobody. Yeah, not the way to live. That. Not the way to live. Awesome. So, the next question. We're going to take a higher level perspective here. What would your vision desire for the humanity to migrate towards, Corey? For all of humanity to migrate mm-hmm. towards to be 
Okay. What words am I allowed to say on this? Yeah, I guess you can always edit it out if you need to. You so can say whatever words you want to say, man. If you ever watch Charles, Charleston Heston, the old movie called The Ten Commandments, right? He's Moses and he comes off the mm -hmm. mountain and he's got the Ten Commandments and he's holding them out. I would love to take those Ten Commandments and just wipe them clean and write on yeah. one of them, just be cool. And on the other one, just don't be an asshole. And that's what I would I like love to see humanity work towards. Just getting rid of all of the nitpicky garbage that we worry about yeah. and judge each other for and right. focus on being cool to each other. And I know that's really kind of a, a vague idea of what it is. No, it's not, Corey. I, I think that's the core of humanity, right? I think that's a problem. We're trying to live by rules that somebody else has told us. And I'm not saying Ten Commandments are right or wrong, but they're a set of rules. And unless people define their own rules, they're going to live in fear, right? Live by your own rules. That's basically you're saying there's only one rule. Don't be an asshole, right? It's not a hard to follow that's rule. You don't want... That's a rule. That? Right? I mean, that's a perfect rule because who wants to be an asshole? Um, nobody. Who, nobody. nobody yeah. I mean, if you cool, dig deeper to your core humanity, you don't want to be an ass to anybody. Right. So, I mean, I, I love that. I actually really, really, really relate to that, what you said. Look, this is what I love about doing these podcasts, man. I met so many interesting people. I'm really having these insights are amazing. Awesome. On this note, I want, I know you have a hard stop here. So, yeah. let's talk about one thing. I am pretty sure my audience has been intrigued to figure out what the world of planning looks like, or even they want to have a conversation with them, with you or your team. How can they get in touch with you? Yeah, my website is balancedcapital.com. So it's balanced-capital.com. You can Google that. You can Google my name and that will pop up as well. Uh, the only social media that I have is LinkedIn. I think most social media is a complete waste of time. And that even is too. But yeah. that's the best way. Either Google just my name or Google Balanced Capital. And that's my company. Yeah, I think on your website, you also have a way to get in touch with you. Schedule a call specifically with you. Is that going to be with yeah. you or with your so, team? How does that work? That's just me, actually. So part of my whole philosophy with this company is I am never going to grow to the point where I have to hire someone. That is Got something it. I do not enjoy is working with people. So awesome. there's going to come a point when I have all the clients I can handle, and that's going to be that. And awesome. we'll ride awesome. off into the sunset together because I don't want to work in a way that I don't enjoy, and I don't enjoy managing people. So there's going to come yeah. a point where I look at it and say, I can make a lot more money if I do, but I don't want to. I hear that. I hear that, man. Well, Corey, thank you again for coming on our show, man, sharing your insights yeah. with our listeners. I wish you well, and I'm sure you'll be back on the show again. Yeah, this was a lot of fun. Thank you. Even if you didn't want to, we'll bring you back. All right. Thank you, buddy. <laughs> I want to. I'll tell you that. It was a So it's good to meet you. Thank you. If you got value from this episode, you might consider sharing this content with a friend. But most importantly, be sure to take action on what you've learned. One way you can take the next step is to connect directly with Socket on an investor call. That link is waiting for you in the show notes below. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Please consult your own advisors when making any investment decisions. Keep listening. We'll see you on the next episode.